Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome to episode eight of To The Point Cybersecurity. I am one of your hosts, Erica Pierce, and I have with me also uh, Eric Trexler of Force Point. Hi, Eric. Hello, Erica. How you doing? I'm great. I love Mondays. <laughs> I know, yes. Always a great day to do a, a podcast, right? So today, um, I'm excited. We have a, a guest this week, um, and it's probably a guest that many of our listeners, if you're engaged in the cybersecurity space, um, you've heard his name before and, and read it in many articles. Um, Jim Lewis for from the Center for Strategic International Studies, also known as CSIS. Uh, welcome, Jim. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and thank you so much for, for joining us. So Jim is, um, he is the uh, resident cybersecurity expert over at CSIS and also was the director of CIS, CSIS's um, Commission on Cybersecurity for the 44th President. Um, Jim, just curious, I was reading about your background, but how did you get in, engaged and involved in, in cybersecurity? I know it's, you've, it's been some work you've been doing for quite some time now. I just always liked computers. When I was a kid and... Uh, I think it was junior high, the the computer club was across the hall from my economics class. And I would always stare at the computer and it would, you know, be printing out pictures of Mickey Mouse and things like that. And I thought that was so cool. And then when I was at the State Department, uh, the guy I worked for, Dick Clark, basically said, you know how to program computers. Um, go to NSA and talk about this program called Clipper Chip. So that was how I got into it. Oh, wow. And are we talking the same Dick Clark who wrote Cyber War, the book? He was my boss. It was probably the first international based military based book on cybersecurity that I ever read. I, I thought it was fascinating. I don't know how old it is now. It's not that old, but I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I just saw him last week. And so he's uh, plugging along, doing great. Uh still interested in this stuff and doing a lot of work in cybersecurity. And I think he was considered pretty radical in his day, wasn't he? He was. Uh, he dodged all these questions when I was asking him, but you know, <laughs> essentially he, um, he would have taken a, a, a harder approach to um, securing networks than the uh, – the Clinton administration or the Bush administration or the Obama administration was willing to take. And hmm. there's always been this reluctance to um, push really hard. And Dick, if, is, if not anything, he's a hard, he's someone who's into doing this uh, uh, at a very high level. So yeah, a little bit of conflict there. We might've been better off had we uh, paid a little more attention, but anyway, yep. <laughs> well, that, that great, actually... great read. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, maybe, uh, Jim, you can uh, connect us and, and give us a good word, and he'll be on our podcast. <laughs> sure. 
But um, so that actually, that's, that's a good lead into today's topic. So, you know, one of the areas, Jim, I know that you've done a lot of, um, you know, work on and, and have spoken about is critical infrastructure. And um, it, it's a hot topic right now in terms of whether or not the U.S. is, is ready in terms of um, making sure that we're properly prepared for um, what could be a digital Pearl Harbor, as I've heard it termed. Um, so curious just to get your, your, your thoughts on that. You know, are we ready for or a large-scale cyber attack. So the you know the the good news is that compared to where we were say ten years ago, we're much better prepared. We have uh, policies, we have coordinating mechanisms, um, we've got a lot of public attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the short answer is that if a truly determined and skillful opponent like the Russians decided to come after us, um, we could be hard pressed. So. Better than we used to be, but nowhere near secure. So, Jim, I'm going to take you back a little bit. March of 15, you tweeted that Joe McReynolds of Syria told you a favorite PLA saying about the U.S. military. No satellites, no fight. And I think your response, if I'm reading it correctly, is wishful thinking. Let me turn that around. No critical infrastructure or hobbled critical infrastructure. Are we still in the fight? Is it still wishful thinking? Um. That's one of the things that helps us is that you could ask yourself, you know, at three levels, what would a very disruptive attack on critical infrastructure look like? So the first level is, would it affect our military capabilities? And the answer is, in the near term, it would not. So that's something that gives opponents pause. The Navy would still be able to work, the Air Force. Um, You wouldn't get much military benefit. Um, On the economic side, uh, there would be a huge disruption, right? And then on the political side, there's worry that you would get all sorts of popular uproar and discontent. And so, you know, the the calculation for an opponent is very much, um, I can do this, but the Americans will still be able to punch me back. Is it worth it? And that's where, uh, that's been a help to us because so far, no one's, so far, no one's been willing to take that bet. But you could you could easily, you know, if you remember after 9-11, for a couple of days they grounded all the flights in the U.S. You, you could do that through cyber means. So the ability to cause disruption is, um, if anything, greater. The, the question for our opponents is, the people who could do that is, are you willing to take the risk? And I guess conversely, are we willing to accept, uh, assess what happened and make a judgment. Can we even do attribution and can we strike back? Yeah, do we know who to strike? That's always so. We've done a couple war games here at the cabinet level, and um, they always have two questions. The second question is Can you assure me there won't be collateral damage if mm-hmm. I allow you to strike back? The first question, though, is exactly yours is Are you absolutely sure you know who's responsible for this? So you have to be able to. Um, say without you know any doubt yes it was russia yes it was china yes it was whoever and we are um again we're better off than we were 10 years ago 10 years ago dod decided this was under uh, general cartwright to put a big effort into improving our attribution capabilities so that depending on who you talk to three out of four times we can figure out who it is within two or three weeks so if you're willing to take those odds uh 
three out of four times within two or three weeks, uh, the answer is yes, we can figure out who attacked us. So somebody shuts down, let's say, you know, power to the island of Manhattan. We probably have about two days because we before we have a real, real challenge on our hands. That's a lot less than two to three weeks. What do we do? That's where it gets interesting. And so one option is um, just max them all on, you know, they all deserve it. So uh, that one usually doesn't carry the day. Uh, I think what you'd see is we would just freeze and you'd have a lot of effort on recovery. Uh, you'd see DHS talking about uh, resilience and restoration of service. You'd have FBI talking about how they were investigating. Um, but we would basically hold for a couple of weeks until we had a better idea who was responsible. Okay. Hmm. And Jim, also curious, I know you've also talked about the fact that, um, you know, the current administration is, is really shifting authority for cybersecurity away from the National Security Council to the agencies. So as we think about critical infrastructure and, and just in terms of government services being one of the four um, most important, you know, components uh, of the 16, I believe, what do you think about that strategy? How, how does how is that? What does that look like long term in terms of overall um, preparedness? Well, it's a gamble. Uh, the Obama administration left us with a uh, pretty good structure of coordinating bodies and policies for coordination. It turns out coordination is one of the big problems, as it is with so many security issues. So they left with a, a pretty good uh, pretty good setup for the White House deciding um, who was responsible. They said, is it an FBI incident? Is it a mm -hmm. DHS incident? Is it a DOD incident? And the core of that structure was the cyber coordinator at the White House, uh, which the, this administration has eliminated. Right. Now, there's pros and there's cons. Uh, the, and the NSC, the National Security Council under Obama, had, had grown to be gigantic, right? And like 400 people or something like that, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. They were doing things that previously had been left to the agencies to do. Every, every White House has this temptation because you know, the agencies are slow. Sometimes they're, they're stubborn. They don't do things right away. If you work directly for the president, you get a much faster result. So the Obama administration shifted a lot of responsibility, not all, but some, from the agencies to the White House. And this administration decided, <laughs> again, it's not, not that unusual, we're going to shift some of it back. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is um, right now you don't have anybody to coordinate. And we know in the past that's always been an issue because, you know, the, these are very powerful agencies, DOD and Justice and DHS to some extent, they're going to start doing their own things. Somebody needs to make sure they're all acting according to the same plan. So okay. I would not have gotten rid of the coordinator. Well, and so, did, Go ahead, Eric. Go now, you go, Eric. <laughs> speaking, speaking of coordination, then, I mean, when we talk about critical infrastructure, I, I believe the government classifies our critical infrastructure into 16 core categories. Where would you start? What's most important? How do we how do we start protecting this infrastructure in a better way than we are today? And who does that? Well, there's a there's a the a sort of a 
consensus in the U.S. and in a lot of European countries that really only four or five infrastructures are, are truly critical. So electrical power, um, that's probably number one, right? If you turn off the electricity, nothing works. The financial networks, crucial for the economy, crucial for everything. Telecommunications, the core networks that the internet runs on, you need them. We would put into that government services, I think the Europeans would too, the police, fire, 911. Um, the Europeans add, uh, and we're sort of, Europeans add transportation networks. And, you know, it could be oil pipelines, it could be airplane, commercial aircraft flights. Uh, so those four or five are the truly crucial ones. The Obama administration put out an executive order a couple of years ago, which this administration has continued that said, you know, not only are there core infrastructures that we really need to pay attention, pay attention to, there's places where there's um, locations that are more important than others. You know, that there's, they, I think they had a number of about 200, you know, so you can think like the power in Los Angeles or New York, any of the big cities, you know, maybe some of the military facilities like Albuquerque, New Mexico, mm -hmm. they're places that you need them to keep running. And right. that's been a good, a good job in terms of identifying those. What we don't have is we don't have what many countries are now adopting, which is a, a central agency with regulatory authority. Um, what we use is a sector-specific approach. So FAA does commercial airlines and um, FCC and NTIA and, uh, you know, others do uh, telecommunications. And so each sector has some authority. They're the ones who uh, FERC, you know, the mm -hmm. Department of Energy does the electrical grid. So we have a sector-specific approach, which is, you know, means there's at least 12 agencies um, doing cybersecurity. And that, again, highlights why coordination mm -hmm. is so important. So would you centralize or would you just coordinate better? It's a hard question. Because really hard. It's very yeah. difficult. <laughs> most, most countries have moved. So in 2009, we were the world leaders in thinking about how to do cybersecurity. Uh, you had a national strategy. You had a coordinator attached to the White House. You had a military strategy, a diplomatic strategy. Um, in the intervening years, other countries have moved ahead. We're kind of stuck. What they've done, and the Brits are probably the best example, um, is they have a single national authority that has a little regulatory authority, a little contact with the intelligence agencies. This is NCA in the UK. The Israelis have done it. The French have done it. The Swedes have done it. You know, other people are moving in this direction. So that's one of the big questions is, is do we need, we have this distributed approach. Do we need to, need to move to a single agency? And the, the US is kind of moving in that direction. There's a bill that mm -hmm. Chairman McCall in the House introduced that would create a national cybersecurity and infrastructure agency out at uh, DHS. That's probably the right answer, but it's it's still up in the air. Is it DHS that does it? Do you need a standalone agency? How do you break this up? So we need to kind of catch up with the rest of the world. Yeah, and I know that there's also, there's been some um, some 
you know, critique that DHS, um, even being that agency, still being in its, its infancy, is it really the right agency as well? So it'll be interesting to sort of see how things fall out um, over over time. But I, I think the consensus is there does need to be that concentrated focus. Yeah, so. no, uh, DHS, you, you'll still have people telling you DHS doesn't have the capability. Only DOD has the capability. Mm-hmm. Why don't we give it to them? So well, then you run uh, into authority issues also. Absolutely. Uh, DHS as a civilian agency, it's not military. It's not uh, not uh, intelligence. Um, it does have a law enforcement function, but it's not primarily a law enforcement agency. By default, they might be the best choice. So I had a final um, just uh um, point I wanted to have you expand upon, Jim. Um, I was reading some testimony that you gave recently um, at a congressional hearing around um, critical infrastructure and cybersecurity. And your closing thought was resilience is a last resort, which I, I thought was really <laughs> to the point. Um, but uh, could you just expand upon that for our listeners who perhaps haven't seen that testimony? Well, yeah, and it's... Um so the best outcome would be that the uh, other side didn't attack us at all, right? That they they kind of sat back and calculated the risk and said, um, the benefit does not justify me doing this because the Americans will really punish me. And we've been um, unable to send that message clearly. And that goes back really to the Bush administration is our opponents. And this there's another China quote, which... Uh, uh, Chinese three-star general said, basically, the Americans, uh, great capability, no will. <laughs> and th- that's not what you want the other guys to be no. saying. And the Russians look and say, hey, we interfered in your election, and you still haven't really done anything back to us. We, we've overestimated the risk of attacking the U.S. So I think step number one is to persuade people attacking us is a bad idea because you will really be punished. Um, step number two is that may not always work. We know that the Russians recently um, allowed themselves to be discovered on some of our electrical grid. That was a warning to us. Yeah. You know, look what we did in the Ukraine. Um, if you punish us for the elections, we could do that to here to you. We could do it back to you. Yeah. We could do it. Exactly. So we need to be in a position where we can say, you know, the core infrastructure, the key things like telecom and electricity and finance, they will continue to work well enough, even if you attack us, right? And we're not there yet. We're, we're better than we used to be, but we're not there yet. And the third is, if we don't manage to scare them off, if they attack us and they have some success, we, we need to think about how to recover quickly. And mm. the example that I always remember is the 2003 Northeast US blackout, um, which was not a cyber yeah. incident. Um, if you flew into New York, uh, you would see it's been dismantled. But at that point, you could see there was a Con Ed generating facility on the uh, the east bank of the East River. Well, that that plant was 100 percent perfect. It could run. It could generate electricity. But we had no way to connect it to the network. So mm. you had you had a power plant working in New York that couldn't provide lights and power. So we got to do a little planning. And there's been some progress on this. If there's a successful attack, 
how do you continue to operate even when your equipment has been degraded? How do you recover uh, quickly, quickly and hopefully gracefully? So a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we're better off than we were, but uh, if the Russians decided, and the Russians are a little crazy these days, <laughs> if, if they decide to do something mean, um, I'm not 100% sure we're ready for it. I, lo- I love that example because you're right. The blackout wasn't a cyber attack or event even, but it, it, it ended up resulting in the effects of a potential cyber attack on critical infrastructure. And I can tell you, my wife and a lot of coworkers, I wasn't in Manhattan that day, they were sleeping on the steps of hotels or buildings because elevators weren't working, mm-hmm. air conditioning wasn't working. I remember how hot it was. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard the stories vividly how hot the buildings were because Manhattan was literally out of power yeah. at the time. And that's, from a cyber perspective, that's one of the outcomes that could happen in escalation. Yeah. That was a good drill. And we've done a little bit to say, so actually only one power facility was affected in that blackout. But because of the way we'd structured the networks, um, it knocked out everyone else. Took the grid and, down. Yeah, yep. and we couldn't get power from other. The U.S. has 13 different, I think it's 13 different power regions. We couldn't get power from any of these other regions. Right. right? Um, so those are fixable problems. There's been some progress there, but you know, we we probably would want to test it before we said we were all set. Jim, it's been 15 years. <laughs> I well, think we, we need to move to at cyber speed. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jim, that's all the time we actually have for today. I, I do want to say, uh, do you get a little bit nervous when someone says, you tweeted uh, in 2015? <laughs> no, I get a little bit nervous when... Uh, um, the, the social media is a godsend for foreign intelligence agencies. So every time I go onto social media, I think to myself, who exactly am I telling about this? And so there's some things I just won't tweet about because, you, you know, I was it just you can. And you, if you have a Facebook account, as probably most people do, you just saw this where somebody borrowed all your personal information. Yeah. It's a vulnerability. So different subject, not critical infrastructure, but. That's what I worry about is who is reading this? Do I really want to be saying it? Well, at some point, our our personal information, our communication networks, someone do become critical infrastructure. I mean, especially as they're swaying the vote and other things. I was actually thinking that same that same thing, that uh, it's it's interesting how you how we will be redefining what is critical infrastructure. So Uh, I think that's right. I mean, we we have sort of a, a. uh, 1998 definition of critical infrastructure, and maybe it needs to be updated. Well, Jim, where can our listeners um, read your tweets uh, if they do want to see what you're saying about <laughs> cybersecurity? <laughs> the, the easiest thing to do is just go to the uh, CSIS website, which is, um, I have no idea what it is, it's www.csis.org. And if they type in my name or they type cybersecurity, uh, they'll get more than they ever wanted. Yes, yes. All of your um, recent appearances, your articles, there's lots of good stuff there. So um, please do uh, check out um, Jim's, uh, his thoughts and his tweets as well. (laughs) Okay. And and I found them to be mostly timeless. So it's really interesting. (laughs) um, Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we'll, we'll wrap things up. So thank you to all who have tuned in this week. And thank you so much, Jim, um, for taking time with Eric and I today. We really appreciate your, your insights and your thoughts. Great. Thank you very much. Jim, great spending time with you. Thank you. This was a good, this was a good interview. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store. 